Let me say a short prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity in the next 40, 50 minutes or so for us to consider your grace and your love and your provision for us and not least with the gift that the children that we think about and are concerned for are to us. Thank you that they belong to your called out community. And we ask, Lord, that this evening you would just uh, sow seeds that would take root and grow in terms of our being able to uh, help these young people grow into an understanding of who you are and of what you've done for them, that they may be rooted and established in your love, secure and full of self-worth in you, significance, and to be leaders and teachers and pastors and evangelists, pioneers in the culture in which they will live and grow. So help us help them, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Once again, um, welcome to you and uh, welcome to you. (laughs) As you're listening on the web, um, you're not able to see what's just happened here uh, and I'm not going to explain. Uh, Let me just reiterate again how grateful I am to, uh, particularly, just to echo Joe's words really, particularly to those of you who sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, um, you sacrifice a, a Sunday, and that means you've probably sacrificed, sacrificed something of a weekend. Uh, you could have been out of London uh, enjoying all sorts of things. You, you're here on a Sunday, and not only that, you come to um, the main service of worship, and you get a collect, you get a confession, an absolution, you get an all-age song, and then that's it. <laughs> and off you go um, uh, to some far-flung corner of Parsons Green in order to um, do battle with the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, age three, or whatever it might be. Uh, We really are grateful to you. Thank you so much. Um, And I realise there is a sacrifice as well for those of us who are are parents, but also often perhaps drafted in, maybe at the last minute, against our expectation or preparation to help out. Um, I want to acknowledge that at the moment we're... We're in a kind of chaotic place as a, as a church. I mean, we, we are growing. As a standing committee, we were looking at some of the sort of facts and the evidence of that in, in, in all sorts of ways, behind the scenes. And um, one of the ways in which growth often happens in, in nature, it happens randomly, chaotically. If you watch a leaf grow under a microscope, it doesn't grow uniformly. It, it, it's quite random. And... If you look at our church, you can see that actually, compared to two or three years ago, um, we've got loads more under sevens, um, far more than we ever had. And we had the structures for coping and, and, and receiving and rejoicing with those young people aren't yet fully in place. And we haven't quite got the sort of um, uh, comparative um, resource, if you like, of others around the church who can come alongside and help to teach and train. So I acknowledge that it, it, it does feel uncomfortable. It feels a little bit sort of chaotic just at the moment. But I want to do, what I want to do in the next few minutes is to set out um, something of a vision for, 
well actually for the whole of life at St. Dionysus, but particularly for our children and young people, um, to talk about a, a little bit about um, what is warring against our seeing that vision fulfilled as teachers and parents, the kind of pressures of the culture in which we live. Um, and then if I may, I don't know if you've seen the it's a little agenda, uh, we've got a little running order. But just to talk practically about one or two um, house rules, if I can call it like that. Every, every family has house rules. We're uh, the Christ-centered family here. One or two things I'd love to just set out. So firstly, vision. If I could sum it up in a phrase, and I don't know where I got this phrase from, it's not original to me, but, but I, I'd want to set before you this vision that it's, it's better, it's preferable to build children than to mend adults. Which is not to say that we're not in the business at St. D's of mending adults. Adults have set sail into life and storms and so on have come and um, ripped a sail or battered the hull. And so in Christ we seek healing and wholeness. So it's not that we're not <laughs> into, as it were, mending adults. But we just, we just consider actually with the context of children, it's preferable to spend as much energy and resource, effort, time, money as possible building children who are strong enough to withstand the storms of adult life when they set sail on their own. So it's better to build children than to mend adults. We're wanting to sow into these young people whose minds are like little sponges. I guess all of us in this room will be aware to a greater or lesser extent just how much they can take in. Um, particularly in, in the spiritual realm, or not least in the spiritual realm as in everything else. Um, they can soak up so much and receive so much, uh, process and begin to live out so much. So we're wanting to feed that and to grow that and to encourage that in whatever way we can. And it requires vision, I guess, of imagining little Sally or little Peter in 5, 10, 15 years' time. Uh, as, and I mean, imagine. Why don't we just do that just for a moment now? Imagine um, a little person, maybe an imaginary one, or one actually known to you. Four, five, six. And then, uh, if you can, shut your eyes, as it were, open them again, when that little person is 18, 19, 20. And, and imagine... That person as the most secure, the most uh, confident without being arrogant, uh, the most at peace with themselves, the most capable in terms of their, their sort of people skills and their ability to live out what God has called them to be uniquely. Imagine the best case scenario. That's, that's the kind of, that's the vision we We've got to build little boys and girls into young men and women who who have that kind of presence, that kind of godness, shalom, wholeness, peace about them. When they walk into a room, there there are a crowd of people, there's something about them. Amid all the insecurities of their peer, there's something that is extraordinarily attractive. Again, I don't mean that in the the kind of grubby sense that the teenage magazines will. I mean in just the deep God sense that just draws people to them and actually because they're not interested in themselves, but actually through them draws them to something of God himself. 
that's what we're looking to do. Let's take a sort of sporting analogy, um, and it's topical, I guess, to, to think of a rugby player. So take Lawrence Delalio. Do, do you know how I mean by that? Um, I mean, he's got a neck that is thicker than Ben's thighs. He's just enormous, this guy. There's not one ounce of fat on him. He's just solid beef. <laughs> uh, and you look at him, he's got that, I mean, he's, he's got, the, he's got that square jaw, he sits there and the sort of the look in his eye. He's just 100% we're going to win. He's so focused. You wouldn't want to meet him down an alley at any time of the day, let alone the night. Lawrence Delalio. The point is, there was a time when Lawrence Delalio was three years old and you could just go, boof, and kick him for six. And, and there was a time when Lawrence Delalio was just beginning to, to play with a ball or to try out his, spiritual, uh, his sporting prowess. And there was a time when a rugby coach, we've never heard of him or her, we, we do not know. But there was a time when someone saw Lawrence Delalio and thought, if I, if I have a bit of time with that guy now, he could become who he is now. Lawrence Delalio, right now, can look back and he will, not, he, will, he will not have forgotten the name of someone who spotted him aged five, six, seven, and first put a ball in his hand and said, run with it. Someone saw a little squit called Lawrence and said, I can see the man there. I can see the international rugby player. And in a, in a spiritual sense, we're looking to do the same thing. So it, it, it isn't that we're looking to get through, if I can encourage us, I know the temptation is to think, oh, I've got to get through 40 minutes of busy bees or the ark, and oh, you know, if I do it today, I won't have to do it for another six weeks. And I know the temptation to, to think that way, and I, you know, we've all been there. But actually, if we can ask God for the ability to see spiritual Lawrence Delanios. To walk into that room and say, Lord, in, in 10 or 12 or 15 years' time, or however long it is, um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the pioneers, I mean, they're pioneering now, they're leading now, but the pioneers of the future as well as today. And Lord, what do you want me to do today to help or encourage that? Biblically, that's referenced in a little verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 22 verse 6, which says, train children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Train children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they'll not depart from it. And the word for train in the original, the, the root word, um, comes from the same word that's used of an archer when he takes a, a, a bow and, and bends it in order to um, put the, what do you call it, the string, I suppose, what do you call that? The, you know, when you, when you bend back and prime a bow, as in a bow and arrow, you, you, you kind of lodge it in your foot and you lean into it with your knee and you, you, you train the bit of wood to be as tense as possible so that the, so that the bow is, is really taut, the string is really taut, so that you can fire the arrow effectively. And the point is this, that every single piece of wood is unique. Every single piece of wood has a different kind of tension point or, or, or capacity. So some will bend quite easily, but some will be actually quite rigid and tense. And, and training the bow is to, is to feel with each one. It's not to say, oh, I've done this before, chump, boom, chump, boom, and to kind of 
production line your bows. It is to accept that every single piece of wood is slightly different and unique. And therefore, you, the, the, the skilled archer will be feeling sort of intuitively, instinctively for the feel of the bow. And that's the idea with, with children. We don't come into a, a class of ten and one size fits all. I, I know there are practicalities, so we, we have the, the, the lesson for the day and we have the preparation and the activities. But in and through that and hopefully beyond that, we're praying, Lord, help me to see by your spirit what you're doing in each of these children and how I can play my part in training them to feel where the resistances are, to push them in a sense, challenge them to, to their limits. For some it's you know, not much, for others, because don't forget the growth is random or chaotic. So there'll be moments, maybe a little season of two or three weeks when they're just getting it, and then others when mm, maybe not. And it's, it's the skill to be able to feel, with the aid of the spirit, where are we? Train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And I think this just this season, we are, um, because a number of people have asked with Carrie stepping back, are we going to replace Carrie? And for the time being, we're, we're not. Um, primarily because, actually, I think we've got, as I discern it, we've got enough people within our congregation, you here, those listening on the tape, um, parents, teachers, helpers, others who the Lord is bringing, wonderfully like people like Alex and others who, who've got experience and a heart for young people. I, I think we have enough people within our church who can, who can play their part in training. Those of us who are parents, actually, it's just, that's the implicit call. We've got a responsibility to, to, to train children in the way that they should go. And uh, for, this, for, the, for this next season, as it were, um, I think we want to commit ourselves as a church to release as many of us as possible in that training element. And actually the need is, a, is administrative rather than um, on a sort of practical level, which is where uh, certainly Carrie was, was, was most skilled, I think. So we've had, a, if I'm honest, we've had a little bit of a rethink, I think, over the last few weeks and months. And that's where we are for the moment. And I think as, as Ursula will point out um, and help us with a little bit later on that you know, there, there will be sort of practical implications for all of us uh, in terms of raising up these children and, uh, and fulfilling this vision. Just linked to the train a child in the way they should go is just the word education. Here's a little thought on this and then two quick thoughts on resistances to this vision. Education comes from the Latin a educera. A-E is from or out, and duco is to lead. So education is to lead out or to call forth. And uh, if you, anyone who's been trained as a teacher, you'll know, actually the idea is, within education is not that we cram them full of stuff, like filling a bucket. It's that we light what's already there. Education is about lighting a fire, about releasing what's already there, in a sense, letting it find full expression bringing it out. Now, it needs to be trained and, and guided and, and, and so on, disciplined. But these little ones are, are, not, are not inferior in any way in God's eyes. In terms of their value, in terms of uh, who they are, they're equal with us. They're, they, they're younger than us, they, they've lived less than us, so they're less experienced than we are. 
but they're no less capable of a relationship with God. Um, it seems to me the incarnation is evidence of that. Jesus was born as a baby and grew at every single stage of his life. Jesus spent a whole year being four. And, and we, we understand it in the unique relationship with God. He knows exactly what it is to be nine. And it seems to me if he didn't miss a single day of childhood, then it seems to me the hugest affirmation, the best affirmation there can ever be of what God, how God sees children. And therefore we're just calling that innate calling, that innate status out of children. What does it mean to be um, a follower of Jesus as a seven-year-old? Well, let's ask him. Because <laughs> he was seven, he was nine. And we're, we're seeking, in the best way we can, commensurate with their age, to call that out. Two, two things that are working against that. Uh, these are pressures that I feel as a parent, and you'll be feeling. Um, one is the consumer culture in which we live. Um, this is um, uh, Theodore Dalrymple writing in the, the Spectator magazine um, in the wake of the, the Rhys Jones murder recently. He says, let me here offer a few observations about contemporary British childhood and parenting that may or may not be connected with the Rhys Jones murder. The first is, is quite a, it's quite a sort of acerbic article and he's concluding here so you need to come up to speed with the terminology. The first is that children are increasingly the customers of their parents who regard the provision of gigors as the whole duty of parenthood. I've been asked by parents many times why a child should have turned out so horrible when they, the parents, gave their... Uh, sorry, gave them everything from trainers with lights in their heels to a television in their bedroom. It's incredibly hard when so much is thrown at us by the telly, the adverts and everything, where you can have so much now, it's incredibly hard for these inexperienced people, it's incredibly hard for us, it's hard for these inexperienced people to, to know the way in which they should go, which is why we need to, to help train them to set the direction. And often that will mean saying, just learning to say no. That, that is a real gift as parents and backed up by teachers. It's a real gift, it's a present that we can give our children. The ability to say no to themselves. We practice it occasionally in, in, in the Victorian household that is the Stilwells. We, we call it, and we joke about it, but we call it deferred gratification. Uh, so can I have that, can I eat that now? You, I mean, there's no good reason why you can't, but we're just going to say no. Just because you have three meals a day, and actually that's plenty, you don't need to eat it now. So even though you could, no. Why? Just because I've said so. We're practicing deferred... <laughs> that's how it usually goes. We're practicing deferred gratification. We could watch endless telly, we could have endless computers, but actually, uh, and, I mean, just so you know, we, we, we have what we call screen time, and they can choose, they have so many minutes... That they, where they can sit passive in front of a screen. And they can choose how much of that is telly, screen, and computer screen. So they have the choice to work out, do I want to watch that program? If I watch that program, it means no computer. But if I really want to play on the computer, it will mean no telly. So they empowered with the choice, and we have the timer on in the cooker, and, and that's it. Oh, but it's such a good program, and well, you had the computer, it's your choice. Oh, but just a little bit more. No, deferred gratification. 
You will not die if you don't watch that program. In fact, funnily enough, most of the alternative activities... I'm, I'm sounding like my grandfather now. <laughs> frightening, frightening. But actually, I, re- I really believe it's a gift we can give to children, the ability to learn to say no for themselves. We'll have to show them, we'll have to model it as well in our own lives. So, so that's, that's the first thing. It just, just This was interesting. He said, linked to this, I'll pick up Dalrymple again, linked to this is the reversal of the direction of moral authority from adult to child. The word pupil is hardly ever used anymore, having given way to student. Children as young as three or four are often called students. Mothers ask their children what they want to eat for their next meal, what they want to do next, or what they want to watch on television, with the natural consequence that they, the children, come to regard their own whim as law which in turn results in an inflamed frustration at the intractability of the world which does not entirely agree with them. And I, I, I just I want to encourage us as, as responsible adults in our family and as parents with children to um, ensure that we hold on to a, a, a significant and sufficient amount of moral authority. One of the other things that's eating away against this is the World Wide Web. In the Stillwell family, um, when it comes to computer nows, number one, probably Becky, number two, Luke, maybe on a par with Dad, but Dad's losing all the while, losing ground. Uh, Then probably, is it me? Then it's um, Emma, then it's the dog, and then it's ending. Is that fair? <laughs> and within the World Wide Web, um, all that knowledge. If, if you ask, I'm, 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 of the, I'm on that, that edge of the sort of spectrum where if you ask me a piece of knowledge, ask me for something that I don't know the answer, my, my instinctive thing is to look it up in a book. I'll think encyclopedia or one of the shelves of my book. But my children just Google. In fact, we talk about, and I was with Johnny today, Johnny said, oh, let's Google it. We've made it a verb, it's a, it, and we all understand what that means. And what it, what it means is that, whereas in the past, I never, I've never assumed, even now I don't think I assume, that I've got more or as much knowledge as my father. But my children, I don't think they think like that. I think it's just simply a race as to who can get to the mouse first, as to who has more knowledge. And I think, I think, I don't, I don't this isn't a critic, I'm not... It's just a fact of the culture in which they live. I think our children think that they know as much as we do. And, and the danger is that we'll abdicate to that and uh, relinquish moral authority and moral responsibility along with the knowledge that we feel we might be relinquishing. And I think there's a challenge there that even though they've got access to so much, we, with the experience of the years... They, the, knowledge, the knowledge base may be the same, but with the experience of the years, we have wisdom. And it's wisdom that the Bible says we should cherish and go for and revere and respect. And that's what we have, we don't feel we have, but we have in relation to them through the experience of the years. Don't, don't uh, abdicate from that position of authority that we have as parents and as teachers. Uh, so that's really what I want to say by way of vision for children and uh, with one or two sort of thoughts along the side. Let me, let me just say one thing on, on house rules, and uh, I, I think it's summed up on the notes we're going to give you. 
it's just one principle. If we can, as, as families, and I guess I'm talking here primarily to, to parents, as families within the family, I think the principle is on a kind of sliding scale that we look to be um, as firm as we can be at the centre and as soft as we need to be on the edges. Now, what I mean by that is this, and here I'm wanting to sort of apologise really because I I don't think I've been clear, explicitly clear, when um, I often welcome families and we look to incorporate and welcome children into the body of the church because I know my public pronouncements have almost certainly been something like um, please don't worry if the children are a bit restless please don't worry if, they, if you need to get up in the middle of the service don't think you're disturbing us or, or if the children just need to be somewhere else we quite understand and that's fine I'm talking to the people on the edge And I'm sorry I haven't made that clear. I'm talking to the the, the first-time visitor who's paranoid about the church, whose one fear about the church with young children is that, you know, they've got to be seen but not heard. They've got to sit rigidly straight and not move a muscle for 40, 50, or maybe even three hours, 40, 50 minutes, three hours. Who knows how long the preacher will go on, drone on, and everyone will look at them. And, and they will be the only, everyone else will be immaculately behaved in their sort of dressed children with ties and, you know, smarted down hair. And they will be the, 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 that's the fear. And I don't caricature it too much, they have. And I'm wanting to speak to the newcomer, to the visitor, to the people on the edge. And, and therefore I'm being soft. Look, you know, whatever. But to those of us at the centre, I think I am hoping that when we gather as a family, just as when we have a family meal, I'm hoping that um, our children might sit on a seat for the duration of the meal, um, only use their knife and fork to feed themselves and not to um, use them as weapons on siblings. There are are certain expectations for the family member. I think we'd have... I want to set out one or two expectations for our family members, those of us at the centre, that actually for the... For the 15, 20 minutes that we are together as a family, um, we are physically together as a family. That's little people are seeing mum and dad together, where there is mum and dad together, or, or the, the, whoever the parents are, and responsible adults too, engaged in whatever's going on, listening when someone's speaking, um, enjoying, uh, taking part and, and, and participating in, in the worship to whatever extent they feel they can. I, not everyone has to do the actions but engaging and showing an element of engagement and modelling what it is to engage because they're drawing it up. The flip side, I think, is that if we allow our young people to, and children to, to actually pay no regard to someone when they're speaking, even if that someone isn't speaking to them, but just, and if we ourselves are kind of still caught in conversation and not really engaged, what we're teaching the children is it's okay not to be engaged. And I think that's, I think that's unhelpful. Um, actually as a general principle but um, not least when we're gathered together as a family so um, but that's not something I want to say publicly when there may be visitors you understand because it may be misheard by the uh, by uh, outsiders and visitors so publicly we're kind of um, soft at the edge but I want privately in sort of gatherings like this to say can we be please a little bit firmer and tighter uh, in the middle and let's help and encourage one another with that. Um, we'll need to be brave and courageous, I think, just to break the kind of taboos that can surround 
um, talking with others about you know, how we raise family and raise children and so on. But if we can agree together that for the sake of our worship when we're together and for the sake of, uh, of then being free to embrace newcomers and, uh, and outsiders, visitors and so on, um, let's, let's agree to be as firm at the centre and, and soft at the edges. I've gone on way longer than I, I meant to, um, so thank you for, for listening patiently. Um, I need to hand over to, to Sue. Let me just... Okay. I was just thinking the other day that um, it, it's quite odd how people perceive you, because since I've been in this church, I think I've been perceived as being a ch- very small children's worker, However, if um, you talk to Alex, he's probably never seen me with a small child, but he would associate me with youth. So um, this is the first church I've ever been to where I've actually worked with the children, although I've done a lot with children in other capacities. Anyway, these are top tips, and I've got to be very quick, so I might speak quite fast. Um, I've tried to divide it into three because uh, I just felt that that was a bit more of a whole package So hopefully it'll speak to the teachers and the parents. But also I wanted to think through the the idea of the teacher, the group and the children individually. So that's how I've tried to do it. Um, I think any any top tips are hard to do because you can choose hundreds of different things. And I'm sure if Jo was asked to do it, she'd think of a whole load of other other ones. And also a lot of these um, points are talks in themselves. So I'm going to start. So first of all, um, the teacher group, always pray. I think that the packages that we use for our teaching are really good. And I think Scripture Union is fantastic, but Scripture Union doesn't know our children. And I think it's really important that we ask God what he wants us to be teaching our children and where they are. Be prepared, particularly if you're with busy bees. You can't hold a screaming child and cut out a sunbeam. It doesn't work. So make sure that everything's cut out and make sure these um, sheets, which you always think are quite easy, actually a pain in the neck to separate. So make sure you do all that before the children arrive so that you can welcome them without feeling flustered. If you don't know it, they won't learn it. Uh, Any teacher would tell you that. But I think particularly spiritual um, concepts and principles, if you don't really understand the passage yourself and understand what you're trying to teach, it's actually quite difficult to explain it to a very small child that won't sit still or a group of children that keep talking. So um, do make sure that you understand what, what you're trying to, to teach them. Get your mind thinking early. This might be me because I'm quite a slow processor, but I do think that it, don't, don't think about it the night before. Have a few days, or I have to say I go for a week because... I find things just churn around in my head and I think, oh, well, that might be quite good to bring in or, you know, whatever. So, and I also quite like to sort of think it, just think it through. I sort of go to sleep at night thinking about it. So I actually really own it when I get there. Um, I mean, sometimes that's not practical. This week I didn't realise I was on until Friday night, so that didn't work. But ideally, that's what I'd like to do. <clears throat> think through the concentration time of the group that you're preparing for. Um, I think that the idea is that it's one minute per child's age. Now, that that doesn't really give you a lot of time if you're teaching a two-year-old, but it doesn't mean that the whole programme needs to be over in two minutes. It means that you have to keep changing. 
So you do a story and you do a song and you do a game and so and each of those bits are two minutes. So if you've got a seven-year-old, you know, you do the, the same sort of principle, you just keep moving from one thing to another. They shouldn't really be sitting sort of for an hour around a table. Um, I think that's probably... Not, I think that's quite challenging for any, any child, especially on a Sunday when they're, when they're not at school. Um, don't be afraid um, to change things and customise what you teach. Again, the material's great, but you might see, think, particularly with your older children, things are coming up, you know, there's behaviour issues in the group or they're talking about things that are happening at school and it's very easy to bring things in. I think the Bible's quite flexible and there are lots of sort of moral um, issues and things that you can confront just in the, in the teaching pack. So don't get so channel, channeled into, oh, we've ticked that box, we've done that. Um, there's, you know, there's lots of things that we can bring in. Um, and, and the last thing is that you're a role model. Um, I think for some children, the Sunday school teacher, children's church teacher might be the first Christian person that they've met outside of their home. And, you know, I think we do have a responsibility as a model Okay, so that's sort of just kind of teacher and preparation. And the next thing is the group. Um, I've just put teach from the Bible. I know that sounds ridiculous because it's all Bible, but what I mean is that when you're teaching, have your notes in your Bible, have your Bible with you, you know, rather than sitting there with your notebook. I think it's really important that we're modelling the Bible. I think it's great, and I'd love to see the children bringing their Bible to the, their own Bible to the um, children's groups, because I think, you know, they, it's important they learn to find their own way around it. I, I did a house party in the summer and asked the parents for the five to eights to all bring a Bible, and I had all these emails back from parents saying, oh, my child doesn't have a Bible, and, and could I recommend a good children's Bible? So if your child doesn't have a Bible, I've got some ideas, but and not, and not the beginner's Bible, I mean a proper Bible with sort of beginning to have references and things. I think four or five. I mean, they don't have to be able to read. It's just, you know, familiarising them with what comes next. And I think the Beginner's Bible is great for the little ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, Luke's very keen on Bible stories, so he'd probably be fine. Um, Lost my place. Oh, uh, keep moving in the group. You know, don't, again, going back to the sitting thing, there's lots of games that you can just do in two or three minutes to get them up and do something. I think particularly if you've got disruptive group. Things like true and false, you know, do you think that's true, do you think that's false? Or you can have a line which they have to stand up over. We might be able to get a pack of games together because I do think it's quite useful just having games that you can just throw in. Um, again, it just, it's fun and it just makes it slightly less schooly. Have one point and keep the application of the point in your mind and make sure that your lesson teaches it, your memory verse reinforces it, your activities review it, and the children know it. Um, set expectations. I think that's really important. And actually, Tim said very similar at the beginning. I think children um, are much more spiritual than we give them credit for a lot of the time, even the little tiny ones. And I think that quite often we could do more with them than we do. I think there are things like reading and writing, obviously, is out of their depth, but um, I think spirituality is something completely different. And I, t- I would take risks. You know, I, I've done listening to God with three-year-olds, and, you know, they've come back with amazing things. Um, so, you know, don't, don't limit the children. 
use a template. Ursula's very sweetly done a template for every group. So you've got a, we've got a sort of structure. Um, I think particularly the young ones, it's really important that they have a routine. They need to know what's going to happen next. But within that, make sure that you, you're flexible. You know, you can bring things in. You don't want it to be so boring that it's the same thing every week. Bring things in. But it's just good that you have a structure in place, partly because there's lots of teachers and, you know, if everything's so different, you're, with the older ones, you'll get, oh, I don't like that teacher. She does it this way, and I'd much prefer that teacher. But if you're doing, if you've got the same template, I think it's, it's more con consistent for everybody. Set your boundaries with the little ones. Um, same with church, really. Uh, when I do Bible time in, with the busy bees, they sit on a chair. There's no choice. They sit in a chair. And on Sunday, I had one that I had to put on the chair ten times. But... You know, next time it'll be five times, and then the next time it'll be two times. And, and it's all part of training children. But, but we must have, all have to be doing the same thing, otherwise the next teacher doesn't make them sit on the chair. And then they all think I'm a dragon. <laughs> so, and with the older ones, I, I think that work with them. To, you know, at the beginning of the term, you could talk about what your expectation is in their behaviour. You could do a contract. I think that's really good. Get them all to sign it. Keep the contract here. This is how we expect you to behave in this group. Um, <clears throat> help them live it. Um, I, I think um, ta taking them to their world when you're applying what you're teaching, you know, let's think about what that means to... Um, you know, the Bible's passages on sharing in the New Testament and they're sharing food, not very relevant to a three-year-old, but, you know, in nursery, for example, they have to share their toys, you know, that sort of thing. I remember with a teenage group of girls was really struggling with um, parties because they, they just see, seem to be terribly unhelpful and they really wanted to change that. And so we, we talked about, we went literally started off with what they were going to wear, what happened when they got to the door of the party, you know, how much they were going to drink, what they were going to do when they get there. And so, and so they, you know, we'd sort of went into their world and explored their world. And they hadn't thought about that at all. But they had tools then, when it happened, to, to go in and think about. And you can relate that to every age group. It's not just teenagers. But I think, you know, if we, if we help them live it, we need to enter their world. Um, parents, um, this is a very important one. Keep teaching the message from the Sunday school group during the week. I think that the, another good thing about the Scripture Union pack is that you get everything in it. If you take your little flyer home that they've all scribbled on during the session, it gives you the verse, it gives you the story, it gives you ideas to talk about during the week. And don't leave them behind. So many people leave them behind, and I find it quite upsetting. Um, there's, you know, you're at home with them. You can bring in, you know, this week we were talking about living God's way. And, you know, there are lots of things that you can, you know, bring in through the week that ties up with that. Um, have fun. You know, I just think it's really important that they have a really positive um, attitude when they come. You know, let's, let's give them good memories. Um, and then the, whole, the children's bit, and this is sort of going to individual children. Let's not think when they come in that, you know, they're sort of spiritual punch bags that we've kind of got to whack them with the gospel when they come in. Because they're, they're, they're unique and they're individual and they all come in with needs and... Um, I remember once doing a talk at a boarding school, and I've always been really convicted. Every time I think about it, I go hot and cold. Went in with this talk and thought, oh, great, I've got this talk and, you know, the rest of it. And I said, has anyone got any questions? And this girl, well, about five of them said, well, we're having terrible problems with Ouija board. Had no relevance to what I was talking about at all. And I thought, actually, it would have been much better for the session if I'd, 
you know, trying to work out what was going on before I landed this wonderful talk, which actually they probably didn't listen to anyway because they were all so worried about the Ouija board. Um, But, you know, they are individual and there are lots of needs around. So some of the things they need, obviously, to be loved, that means, you know, we're sharing God's love with them. They need to um, feel wanted and accepted and all those kind of things. Listen to what they're really saying. Another thing I get a bee in my bonnet about is people saying, oh, well, teenagers are like this. Teenagers have no self-image. So-and-so has none of this. And I think, well, yes, some do. Some do struggle with eating disorders. Some don't. And, you know, we don't want to be kind of landing all these things on them that, that aren't their issues. We need to be listening to them and finding out what their issues are. And then we can speak into them and we can speak truth into them. And that's freedom. And that's fantastic. Um, it's quite hard, I know it's quite hard in the children's groups because it is quite busy, so there's not masses of time to sit around listening, but you do get sentences that suddenly get dropped in and you, you can p- pick up on. Acceptance, um, accept them for who they are, and I think this is another thing with um, Christians, uh, Christian families, it's very easy to put, I suppose, adult um, perceptions on children, like, you know, we're expecting children not to be children actually we expect them to be little adults when we're not we don't want the mess of the children we, because they're christians they've got to behave properly you know the teenagers behave outrageously and they're not allowed to behave like that i mean i think we need to accept them and what we need to try and do is teach them how to be christian children not how to be adults when they're five i mean that's unrealistic how to be a christian teenager how can you be a teenager who is a Christian. And I, I think it's a very difficult thing to do because you want your children to behave in a godly way. But at the end of the day, they've got to go through adolescence. They've got to go through the t- you know, two-year-old temper tantrums or threes if they're three-year-old if they're a bit later. Um, and you know, we just have to teach them in it, in that age group, if that makes sense. Um, giving a sense of place within the group and within the church. So... When they come into a group, the fact that they actually feel welcomed and with busy bees they've got a badge. And actually the badges are becoming quite important. They're asking for them now um, with their name on. And I think names are really important. And actually even in the older group, I wonder whether um, we could start doing, doing badges. When they come into the school, to Zebedee, the first thing they do is they find their name. Now all the parents think it's because we're trying to teach them their name, which, which it is, but... It's much more important than that. It's the fact that the children know that they're expected, we've prepared for them, they've been planned for, we know they're coming, they're important, all of those things. And I think that's what, you know, that's what those sort of things say. And a sense of place within the church. They're not the church of the future. And if we treat them like that, they won't be around in the future, quite honestly. They're the church of today. They are part of our church and we all have a responsibility to make them feel welcome. Those people that are welcoming... Make sure that you say hello to the children. Don't just say hello to the mums and dads. You know, say, you know, hi, Luke. And, you know, they need to feel that they're expected and welcome just as much as the adults do, I think. Um, Respect them. I know sometimes they say potty things. They have crazy ideas. But, you know, they have points, don't they? And they have thoughts. And and particularly as they start getting older, they have opinions, which you might not want them to have, but they have them. And, you know, yes, that's really interesting. But what do you think about whatever? You know, they need to know that they can actually express um, their crazy ideas, even if we don't really want them to have them. Um, Time. We all live in a world that rushes. 
I don't know how we can do this, but, you know, take time. I think with the, with the li very little ones, they have that play time at the beginning, and I think that's quite nice just to be able to go around and chat to them. But parents, absolutely vital. I think um, that's, that's one of the main areas of children behaving badly, the little ones, because they're not getting enough focused attention. So time is a, a really important one. Encouragement. Let's build our children up. Even if they do something that's not particularly brilliant, tell them that it's fantastic. I love the way you've coloured that pink flower or whatever it is that they're doing. Um, you know, they need to be built up. And help them with choices. All the way through their life, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to make choices. And I think at Stebody, we talk about wrong choices and right choices. And we do it right from the beginning. We try and teach them, not, not just say, oh, that's wrong, but ask them, you know, what sort of choice have you made? So that they can, they start understanding the difference between right and wrong. And I think... Um, you know, the older ones particularly, it's really important that we try and, um, you know, just help them with the choices that they're, that they're making. And I think, you know, just generally, we don't want to get so caught up in the teaching. I think it was one of the other things I thought about the programme. If you've got group dynamic issues in your groups or you, you just think, actually, let's scrap the programme and play crazy games, that's fine. I mean, I don't think every week we ought to do that, so we probably need to talk to the other leaders in the group. But sometimes I think there's n it really helps a group just to do silly things and build up, tr do some trust games or whatever. So, I mean, I think don't feel that you've got to be doing this and ticking the boxes every week because, you know, they are all individual and all different. And let's just enjoy them because it's a huge privilege, I think, to work with these little people. And those are my top tips. Can I turn this off now?